Insight. Okay, good day, everybody, and uh, welcome to the first ever episode of the Hindsight Podcast. I'm your host, Steve McClung, uh, Heinz and Associates. Uh, thank you for joining us. We're excited to have you, and uh, with that, we'll introduce our first guest. All right, so I'm super excited to have with us uh, Mr. Blake Erickson today on uh, on our Hindsight Podcast, and uh, I'll let him introduce himself, but needless to say, not only a great partner for for Heinz for many years, but a good friend. And and I'll hand it over to to Blake to introduce himself. Hey, thanks so much, Steve. So uh, Blake Erickson is as Steve mentioned. I'm a vice president for Acrisure, uh, dealing with our employee benefits side. So working with mid market and larger employers to structure employee benefits programs that are custom tailored and suited to their organization. Excellent. Well, we're happy to have you here with us today. There's uh, as I, I I like to think, you know, hey, we, as an industry, we've seen some huge changes over the last several years, and there's a lot of things going on. And I think we're going to try to crystal ball as much as we can, talk about where we've been, where we are now, and hopefully kind of where we're headed in the future. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, if you don't mind, I thought I'd throw you just a couple of broad questions that we could kind of banter back and forth and discuss them. Yeah, um, that sounds great. In terms of where we're at now, I guess one of the questions I'd ask you, what are you seeing from your end on on renewals? You know, what's the trend? Are costs continuing to go up? Uh, are you seeing smaller mid-sized groups? What's the dynamic? Give us a flavor. Yeah, so it, it's been an interesting few years through COVID adjustments back and forth with, you know, decreases in claims that we saw throughout 2020 as a result of COVID and individuals not necessarily pursuing access to care, and then that continuing through 20, the bulk of 2021. Um, as we came into 2022, we saw that that kind of backlog of care start to, I, I can't even say begin to fulfill itself, more so that the some of the care that still was being postponed was now being sought. There was still a significant backlog of care that had been generated that had not been that had not been pursued throughout 2022 that at this stage of 2023 is just now being pursued. So we've seen a few interesting years, especially as we look at the fully insured space across the spectrum. Um, from how carriers approach things. They kind of came into 2021 going, oh my gosh, we're having a banner year, claims are way down, everything's great, to, yeah. oh smokes, we totally underestimated what was going to happen is a, is a long-term result of COVID in terms of mental health care, in terms of long COVID and, and some other expenses related to it, in terms of disabilities and other expenses related to those. And and the industry kind of missed their mark as a whole in terms of anticipating what the cost was going to be and where trend numbers were going to be coming out of this. Um, All of that is a very, very long-winded way of saying the the fully insured landscape we're looking at today is very similar, unfortunately, to what we've seen of the last 10 to 15 years, really since the announcement of the Affordable Care Act, and that is a trend rate right around 6% in the fully insured space. Um, I believe it was CMS came out just the other day or, or one of the one of the federal affiliated agencies came out with a study just the other day projecting 
total healthcare expenses in the United States to reach $7.1 trillion by 2031. Um, and that's an annual increase of 5.6% a year from where we are today. Um, it's definitely yeah. a nice reprieve for a couple of years during COVID, but yeah, we're back up into that six, uh, you know, five, six percent range, aren't we? Yep, yep. And and as we, you know, have the conversation with some of our fully insured carriers, they're communicating their trend rates are are significantly higher than that. Up to double that is is what they're leading out the door with in terms of a a trend number on their mid market and large group renewals. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that's what they're getting from the marketplace and what they're getting from their clients at the end of the day, but I, I can tell you one of our very prominent carriers will tell us that their their mid-market trend number is 12% on a national basis is, is what they will tell us, and that's you know one of your top three carriers in the United States. So um, that's what they lead with. That's what's printed on renewals when it comes out. That's not what clients are paying on average at the end of the day. It's going to be closer to that 6%, 6 to 8% range they've seen over the last decade or so, unfortunately. And what's, you know, as an employer ourselves, obviously there's, there's, uh, you know, we all feel that pinch when it comes in at a 12% or even, you know, maybe you bring that down to an eight or a six. What's the general sense you get from the groups that are having to absorb this? You know, is this affordable and 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 what's the kind of reaction, the pushback? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. And I'm I'm seeing bigger divides in that space, I think, today than I had over the last well, I, I don't want to say than I had over the last several years. I'm seeing bigger divides in it today than I had historically. Um, but we did see some pretty big divides in you know client performance as a result of directly as a result of COVID. Um, as we're engaging with clients and, and having some of these discussions today about where these trend numbers are and where they're continuing to go, industry is having a lot to do with it. And in you know the where and I don't want to say necessarily pure industry, but where the business is at today and, and what does profitability look like and what is the growth trajectory of the organization look like. Um, for for you know organizations with 150 employees that might be projecting 15% growth this year, that 5.6% number doesn't scare them too much. Um, for companies with a thousand employees that are projecting you know a 1% decrease in in gross in gross revenue this year, um, you know a 5.6% increase off their net is is extremely dramatic at the end of the day. So very different conversation, really depending on the business landscape of the client and prospects we're dealing with today. Um, there's plenty of clients out there that are that are making money that are still scraping and begging and pleading to get talent in the door that are willing to pay anything to maintain a name brand and, and have that recognizability um, on their ID card and, and keep things as clean and simple as possible at some points. That's uh, with the job market the way that it is. Everyone's got to be able to compete on a Hey, here's my full package, not just salary, but the benefits that come along with it. And whether that's, you know, having a, a brand name on there or having very rich benefit plans, I'm sure there's a lot of pressure on that side. And you mentioned it's interesting, you mentioned, you know, COVID. I think we all saw certain things were gonna be a a natural outcome. Cancer care, we've, you know, Heinz has definitely seen an increase almost on all of our books and in, in people mm -hmm. with kind of late stage diagnosis. The mental health component, though, I don't know that anybody, I mean, we all knew that through lockdowns and the different things that there was a an impact on mental health. But you also had some legislation with parity laws that came in and kind of a double whammy. And, you know, mm -hmm. that 
that's changed the dynamic quite a bit. And so you're probably seeing a lot, at least we're seeing a lot of new entrants into the market, bringing some new benefits on that side. And I'm curious, what's what have you seen on the on the mental health side? And what's your feel for where things are headed? Yeah, um, you know, just to take a step back on on the mental health piece, I, it, we have a mental health care crisis in this country today, and that's not a new crisis. Um, we've had a crisis for a number of years due to, and I'm not not looking to, to garner a political stage of any way, shape, or form here. I don't have I don't have all the solutions and funding mechanisms to figure all these things out, but we have a large portion of the population that does not have access to the appropriate mental health care resources they need to to function and and function within their communities in the appropriate manners. Um, I'll. I struggled with that for a long time to really grasp my head around it is is a guy that doesn't always have that approach and I'm a pick yourself up by your bootstraps kind of guy. Um, I've gone through my own mental challenges and mental health challenges in my life, but one of the comments that, that really got to me a few years ago and it was speaking with my brother who's who's about as, as right out there as it can get, but a, a former retired firefighter and it was his comments about the struggles of mental health care that he was seeing on the front lines as a firefighter paramedic on a daily basis that, that really got to me at the end of the day that the number of calls that he goes out on that are mental health crises calls as a paramedic. And at the end of the day, all they're doing is dropping these people at the ER to let them get discharged a couple hours later and, and not eventually get the help and resources they need. So again, we have a mental health crisis in this country. Mental health parity is a very active topic. Um, we know the DOL is actively auditing health plans in that space, in particular self-funded, self-funded health plans. If you're doing anything that, you know, is is skimpy around mental health parity and you feel might not be in compliance, take another look at it. Expect to to potentially experience an audit related to that in the future. Um, our understanding and our discussions with our with our DC counterparts is virtually all of the funding coming into EBSA today is funding auditors to look at small to mid-sized self-funded health plans, in particular, solely at the mental health parity side of the equation. There is zero desire from what we have seen to actually enforce penalties on organizations. It's a heavy hand to encourage broader coverage is what we're seeing in our discussions with our auditors um, or, or amongst our, our clients and prospect base that have gone through that process. So we're seeing a lot of new vendors coming into the space to try and address some of the gaps in care that have that have developed over the years. And, and I'm anxious to see how a lot of it plays out. I've, I've seen some things I'm excited about. I've seen some things that I didn't think really added a lot of value to the equation at the same time. Um, I've seen a lot of a lot of platforms and technology designed around connecting individuals to resources that theoretically should already exist and be available, yet members are struggling to get access to those resources. So I, I'm really curious to see how it plays out. In the short term, it seems like we've had a lot of players that have come in and said, hey, we've got a marketplace of resources available for you, but we're seeing the traditional marketplaces having all their resources tapped. So is it just a matter of time until these secondary marketplace resources are, are fully tapped out as well? And how quickly does that happen? Um, from a provider perspective, we have a shortage of mental health care providers in this country. Um, as we've seen, you know, throughout 
the last two to three years, I want to say the, the rate of depression and anxiety diagnosis in the United States is more than doubled. Um, you know, we're up to almost a 30, 31%, 32% self-reported depression and anxiety today, not necessarily clinically diagnosed, but self-reported, which I want to say we go back to 20, 2009, 2010, that number was under 10%. It was a single digit number and it's it's 30% today. Um, we haven't seen a tripling of the available mental health providers to serve that space, nor will we, do I anticipate. So we do need to find ways and we do need vendors and providers to come in and find ways to be more efficient in the delivery of those services as well. And hopefully that's what some of these newer players that we're seeing come into the space can help to facilitate for us. Absolutely. You make several good points there and that, you know, I'll, I'll maybe backtrack a little bit in my background. I, I did a fair chunk of, of development work on some apps to do different things. One of them was on the medical side. One of the things spoke to a lot of different uh, groups out there that did some development on on that platform for for mental health side and, and saw a couple of different solutions. And I always felt for such a complex challenge as you know an individual's mental health, I wasn't sure that a, a platform was the right solution. It could be the part that makes it more efficient, steers you mm -hmm. to the right person, but you still need that human connection. And no matter how good the AI gets, you you always need that ability to connect with a person that can kind of, you know, hear you and understand you and maybe give you some pointers. And and so I've I've struggled a little bit personally with I, I want to see these these vendors get in there and, and bring some efficiency to it. And we need to bring new technology to a challenge like this, because it is huge. And as you said, we have not seen a tripling of the yep. providers out there. But yep. at the same it, time, I, I really don't believe that technology can, can solve the underlying issue. So we need more people to get into this space. Yeah, and, and I don't think we're, I don't think the technology is fully there yet as we start thinking about and talking about generative AI and all the new things we're seeing in that space. I know I, I read through a few articles and in, in some news updates recently on uh, an eating disorder hotline that exists or existed that had a relatively small number of employees that were trying to unionize. So at the end of the day, the company turned around and said, well, instead, we're firing all of you and replacing you with this new AI chatbot specific to the medical therapy industry that's now been custom trained on, on our disorders and, and how it blah, 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 blah does the things custom to our mission. Um, they shut it down within 48 hours of deploying it. So um, I just, we're not there yet, but yes, technology is going to have a, a massive impact on that space. And as someone that's that's kind of been on this generative AI bandwagon in a sense, not that I'm, I'm for or against it, but I find it exceptionally intriguing and have followed it very closely. Um, I, I've seen a lot of, you know, random, but pseudo verified reports of individuals going, hey, I was, I was having a mental health crisis. I couldn't get a hold of anybody, and here's what I did, and, and I'm feeling much better. Or my my nonverbal uh, my nonverbal bipolar spouse is now able to communicate with me somewhat through ChatGPT by helping it to fledge out their thoughts in a way that they never could on their own. Um, things of that nature, where I definitely think we'll see some opportunities to hopefully garner those efficiencies and, and really hopefully take things to the next level if we can to develop some some insights into, you know, long term as we think about it, we don't know how these large language models work any better than we understand how the human brain works. If we can start learning to understand how both of them work in conjunction with each other as the technology continues to develop, uh, limitless bounds are, are you know, within 
purview, I guess. I I, I don't know. I, I it's an interesting thought to me. Yeah, it's a very fascinating area. I think you know you and I chatted a little bit before we started here, just chat GPT or Google's version in BARD or whatever it may be. A lot of these emerging technologies right now, at least as far as I see them, great to build out a template, a structure, a framework on, even quite interesting to build some code that might help you solve some problems and, and where that's going to be five years from now, 10 years from now, even three years from now, the pace that things are evolving is almost impossible to predict, but very intriguing. I think there are some great things it's going to do, and there's going to be, as as with every new technology, we're going to go down the wrong path sometimes. And that's, Absolutely. Yeah, that's just natural. That's how you learn, right? It'll be disruptive. That's 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 all I can say. I, I for better or worse, who knows? But it's going to be disruptive, and and we'll see changes over the years. And I, I, how quickly? I, I still think I'm in the same boat with you. Today we've got we've got something that's putting out cool text, now generating pretty cool images, some some cool videos, some cool image editing things out there. Yeah, we're gonna have all sorts of copyright issues and infringements and libel and slander and replacement of people and things all sorts of new new legal proceedings to go through that have never been encountered in in society before as a result of this technology so um yeah well we, we may have actually chat gpt being our defense lawyer in that case too so that that might solve the problem it might it might <laughs> if it could be if it could be judge trial jury executioner as well that, that'd be great <laughs> Yeah, executioner's going a little bit far. That's where I draw the line. I'll let them do the uh, the judge part. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I guess one of the other things that just so much has changed in this industry. But one of the things that I've noticed a, a pretty significant shift is on the pharma side of things. It seems to me that there's, you know, that there has always been kind of a few big players, but there seems to be a lot of other solutions, different angles coming out. I don't know what your sense, what you're seeing, what you're kind of detecting out in the in the market. Are people anxious for that? Pharma's always been a big challenge, and and I I just get the feeling like lately there's been a shift and things. There's more players now available. Yeah, um, there's definitely more players. There's a lot more a lot more PBMs, a lot more. I don't want to say startup PBMs, but smaller pharmacy benefit managers that have absolutely come into the space over the last five, seven, eight years. Um, we've seen a lot of program managers come into the space as well with alternative solutions that your traditional PBMs aren't necessarily tackling. And I know you're familiar with some of these, so I won't bore you with all of the details and, and go too far down that path. But yes, we're, we're seeing innovations in the PBM space. What I'm not necessarily hearing is, as much as I might expect, is I'm not hearing a massive clamoring from uh, clients and prospective clients about PBM related pain. Um, it might just be a, a lack of education in the marketplace that it's something that's so easily addressable, though. Um, you know, we're seeing some of these programs come to market that are providing incredible savings opportunities for organizations 30, 40, 50, 80% off pharmacy spend with, you know, a couple of pretty relatively easy triggers when it comes to. You know, either either international mail or some specialty carve out programs, things of that nature that are that are relatively member not impactful. It it, it impacts a very 
small number of the population, but generates a drastic amount of savings for a health plan. So as we're having those conversations with clients and, and prospective clients, it, it hits home every time and they're loving these programs and they're very easy to execute on. There's a lot of players in that space and you know we're custom contracts and, and, and really getting some of the bigger PBMs to customize their contracts has been a lot of what's going on out there. We could have big conversations as well if we want to go down the rebate side. What's what's really interesting to me and, and really more so is less the programs we're seeing on our side and more all of the new drugs, I'm going to call them actually new drugs um, that we're seeing come to market in the space is, is a little frustrating um, is a guy on my side of the equation trying to help employers to contain costs when you see drugs that have been around for 30 years to treat something all of a sudden have their dose lowered from 60 milligrams to 50 milligrams and now all of a sudden it's to treat something different and the cost isn't two bucks a pill it's two thousand um it's it's really interesting to me to to see that transpire and take place and just understanding how individuals are are responding to that and how health plans and PBMs then respond to these types of drugs is very interesting. Um, I have not yet run into the situation where we're where we've needed to battle one of these new, you know, three million dollar one time treatment medications. Thankfully, um, that'll be interesting. The the first time that that I do personally run into one of those from a stop loss perspective, and that's been an active conversation we're having with clients. Is you know, as as most clients review their their stop loss contracts on the self funded side of the health insurance equation. You're usually limited in terms of your your reimbursement from stop loss in any given plan year, and it's not a three million dollar reimbursement they're going to provide you, um, depending on size and scale and scope. But for for mid market, for the most part, it's it's not at that scale on a per claim basis. Um, so there's there's some exposure that needs to be addressed within the marketplace and how we're going to tackle some of these new biologic drugs coming into the market and and what can we do to protect employers in that space appropriately. Um, Absolutely. It's very interesting. I, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of we're seeing a lot of success to bring costs down and control some of these insane expenses that we see come up. But at the same time, there's a lot of there's a lot of shell games being played in the back end of the marketplace, especially in the fully insured world when it when it comes to the pharmacy side of the equation. That's yeah, the shell game, as you, as you call it, it's always been and you mentioned rebates. I mean, it's always been one of those things that's it's tough to get a true picture of what's really going on, where all the costs are going. Yeah. But I'll ask maybe, I don't know, a touchy subject or kind of a newer one with the Ozempic. Um, talking to a, a stop loss carrier just a couple of weeks ago was wondering, you know, hey, how should we be handling something like this? I mean, obviously, the weight loss benefits of something like this could be fantastic. Mm -hmm. Is it proven? Is it, you know, where is this headed? Should that be a benefit? What have you have you seen you know different groups out there wanting to bring this on as a benefit? What's the what's the general consensus or have you been able to kind of form a consensus yet? Yeah, it haven't formed a consensus yet. And we're really just starting to dive into those conversations. We've known it's been coming for a while. Um, that being said, it, it's not a pain point or a hot button for most of our clients. It's not a leading cost driver, while it's certainly something that we want to put on on the list for discussion, um, it hasn't been a focal point for for too many clients that we've dived that deeply into. I, I would think you guys have actually probably been a little bit deeper in discussions with, with some of your client base regarding it than we may have been on our side thus far. Um, 
you know, I from my personal perspective, I think it's from the studies I've seen, it's a slam dunk. Employers should be paying for it, encouraging employees to to lose the weight and get healthier regardless of the cost. It, it's the data suggests from my perspective anyways, and, and I'd, I'd be very curious to hear your clinical team's perspectives. But from from my perspective, the, the data suggests that it makes sense when it makes sense and it, it should be prescribed for weight loss as it should be prescribed for weight loss. Um, where are your clinical teams usually resting kind of on that subject today, Steve, out of curiosity? It's a great question. So it's kind of the same, you know, as, as we looked at surgeries that were available for weight loss in the past, kind of the same question, you know, okay, what are what are the circumstances? What has the, the individual tried? Because anytime you take any kind of medication, mm -hmm. there's a risk to it. It doesn't matter what the medication is, you know, and, and the risk is minimal and they usually try to manage that but there's a risk so have you tried these other alternatives first and if you have then maybe that's the right step to consider certainly before you go to something as advanced as a surgery to, to try to eliminate it mm -hmm. um, and i think you know it is a general you you do want to cover something like this because the the wellness benefits if you can get weight down yeah i'll yeah, give you the story from my my father years ago was was very overweight and diabetic and after losing nearly 200 pounds, uh, got his kind of blood pressure, everything under control, including his diabetes to the point that he no longer takes insulin. That's a huge cost savings. Now, his cost saving would be to Medicare. So it's, you know, it's all of our tax dollars at the end of the day, um, not necessarily a health plan, but you can imagine that that adds up. If you could get so many people on a health plan that are able to get their weight under control because they're taking something like Ozempic and then eliminate the need for insulin, yep. not only does that give you quality of life, but that's huge cost savings. I mean, I, I see it as a great thing, but you do need to take that step. Hey, here's some other alternatives before you go as far as you know taking a medication or going the next step to possibly a surgery. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Um... It's I, I think it's I, I think every health plan sponsor should be should be covering it. Uh, most of our PBMs by default aren't we're not excluding, you know, we're not going out of our way to exclude anything. So unless our PBMs are reaching out and going, hey, do you want to, you know, write in an exclusion for this We're we're not actively pursuing that? So um, I, I think we're in a spot where most of our clients are, are going to be readily covering it. Um, I actually, I, I'd be very curious. I have not engaged with my fully insured carriers to get their perspectives, but I would assume like most things, um, it, it's something that generates premium at the end of the day. If it if it generates claims in the short run, and, and usually I don't want to say they're, shouldn't be that abrasive, but um, I think in the short run, it'll generate premium dollars, and, and that's something that insurance carriers usually like. So I, I think it'd be a no-brainer for the bulk of them to to get on board with it as well. Yeah, I would, I would assume the same. Anything, as you say, that's uh, going to help on the premium side is going to help them across the board. So yeah, yeah, it helps the premium side, and, and, and it helps the wellness side, which that's, that's a win-win for them all day. So um, now, speaking of the fully insured, and, and you know, if I look at at least in my mind, the way the industry has been going, more and more consolidation, more and more of these big players getting bigger, right? And I don't mm -hmm. know if you, you know, United made a couple of interesting acquisitions lately. I'm sure you know, across the board, we can all think of some of these huge mergers. Um, mm -hmm. what, what's your sense? How's that dynamic playing out? Is that going to continue? Let's crystal ball it into the future. Can a little guy compete in that market and, and how? Yeah. Um. The little guy can definitely compete in that market. How's always interesting. Um, 
You know, the the market's gonna has seen a lot of consolidation both on the carrier side, the broker side, the vendor side, and the employer side. And it, it the market will continue to see that consolidation, in my opinion. Um, are, is that some of that consolidation gonna slow based on current interest rates over where it was over the last few years? Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, did it, did insurance brokerage agency acquisitions slow down in the first quarter, first and second quarter of 23 compared to 21 and 22? Yep, they did. Um, is Acrisure projecting to close 2023 about where we closed 2022? Yeah, we are in terms of in terms of new acquisitions. So a little slower start to the year, but but we're foreseeing a, a pretty strong finish to the year. So um I think there's a lot of challenges that exist for employers to manage things when they have decreasing fewer options readily available in the marketplace. Um, you know, United Health. I, I saw the update this morning. Actually, is is you know, Humana had announced their intent to exit the group health insurance marketplace a while back. Um, there was actually an announcement that came out this morning. I'm not sure it even went fully public yet, but it was Humana has partnered with United Healthcare to transition that remaining book of business. Um, and it was just, I, I believe that's been public and, and planned to be intentional for a while. And they'd kind of been partnering on it, but there was some, you know, official broker communications. Here's how you trans, you know, here's how you actually transfer your groups from Humana to United Healthcare come their next renewal date. Um, all those things starting to come out this morning. So, you know, as much as that wasn't an acquisition, there's consolidation and removal of players as a result of that, which doesn't bode well if you're looking to stay in that fully insured space as an employer. Um, you're going to continue to lose options. Your health, your your hospital systems are continuing to consolidate as those systems get larger. They influence more and more control over the the few and large, extremely large insurance carriers in the space. And there's not much motivation between those two parties to not exchange more and more dollars on an annual basis between each other. Um, at the end of the day, the only way those fully insured insurance carriers are allowed to make more money is if they pay out more in claims. Um, you know, the Affordable Care Act set medical medical loss ratios at uh, specific percentages based on market segment. And if the carrier doesn't pay out X number of dollars collected in claims, they've got to give it back. So at the end of the day, if they want to increase total profit, they've got to pay out more dollars in claims and the hospitals are happy to help them do that. So I mean, you're bringing up what is the crux of, of the systemic issue in, in what we do. If the only way I'm going to make more money is to pay more in claims, and the only way the provider is going to make more money is to charge more for each of the claims that they're doing, who's got the incentive? I mean, the small to medium employer, even the large employer, to be honest, I mean, let's, let's not, anybody who's seeing inflation go through the roof, they're the ones that are getting the short end of this stick, especially as employees have the bargaining power and, and we're all fighting over the same employee pool to try and get people in the door. We got to we've yeah. got to provide the benefits. How do we combat that? What's you know, where does this it's a broken system? Where do we start to fix that? So and, and, and I'm going to challenge your statement even a tiny bit further, Steve, from as employers, we suffer um 
but our employees suffer even worse because every dollar we're spending on healthcare as an employer is dollars we're not paying to our employees for the hours they're working um, or, or company profit, depending on the organization and how everything gets allocated at the end of the day. But yes, if we're spending $1,000 per employee per month instead of $500 per employee per month, it's a massive amount of, of differential in wages that could be paid out to X number of people in different ways. Um, it's it's a challenge to figure out where are those dollars going to go at the end of the day. Um, the fact of the matter is that the healthcare system that's been built in this country is a, a broken system. And I, I, you know, we we hear all the I do anyways as a health insurance guy. Jeez, gosh forbid. Um, not the only am I in, the, in the healthcare space, <laughs> I'm on the insurance side of it. I'm 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 the absolute devil. Um, and I've said it for a long time, health insurance is not broken. Health care in this country is broken. Access to health care in this country is broken. The health care supply chain is broken. Insurance is a funding mechanism at the end of the day. We're just we're we're the we're just in the background to make sure the dollars are there to pay the expenses. Yes, there's carriers that you could say are quote unquote working with providers and, and everyone at the end of the day has the same goal of keeping those rates increasing in, in the name of inflation and greater profits, except for the client employer. Um, it, it, it's a segmentation of, of value. It's a segmentation in a, in a clear opposite of, of goals and in, in what an employer wants versus who they're hiring to do that for them. When an employer hires a, a national carrier to maintain their healthcare spending, they're getting access to, yes, yeah, some of the some of the most deeply pre-discounted negotiated rates that exist on a super broad basis with a great looking logo on an ID card. But there's challenges to that as well. Um, you're accepting the fact that your employees are going to go to whichever provider they want within that PPO network, whether that MRI costs $150 at that in-network provider or $15,000 at that other in-network provider. You don't really get a say in it for the most part. Um, I do have to give United Healthcare a tiny bit of credit here. As I, as I say this and I talk about this lack of transparency, I, I've got to give UHC a tiny bit of kudos. They did, they did partner with an organization back in 2019 that has developed a pretty cool transparency application that does provide transparency for employees prior to the point of service to see whether or not, you know, it varies a copay basically based on cost. So they've gone down the right path and they're pursuing the right path based on data and technology availability and how to communicate it, but they're not all there yet. And the incentives are still misaligned. At the end of the day, the incentives are misaligned. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, your your challenge on on the employee side being being kind of bitten in this too. You're absolutely right. If I'm not putting it towards salary, um, they're they're not taking it home on their paycheck, and it's going into to benefits. Or the alternative, a, a lot of people have gone to that high deductible, in which case they're they're still having to cough it up out of their own pocket. So mm -hmm. maybe they're getting a little bit more in salary, but it's getting eat up by by their deductible. Mm -hmm. What? You know, I guess my question would be, and and being a you know small to mid-sized employer, this is a challenge that we face. Moving to a self-funded versus a fully insured takes away that that perceived um, inverse incentive. Right now, now I don't have somebody who's interested in my premium going up because it's it's my own dollars. But there's mm -hmm. risks to that too. Talk to me a little bit about the challenges of of self-funding and and how yeah that may be a solution to one problem, but it brings some other challenges. 
Yeah. So and really is employers take on the you know, the, the potential alternative of, of how do you solve the crisis and that that misalignment of incentives from the fully insured space is Steve saying, you know, we pull the trigger, we go self-funded, you unbundle your solutions and disconnect yourself from from the typical carriers that have that incentive misalignment. Um, you know, you hire a third party administrator and you're paying fixed administrative fees for a fixed service to pay your claims. You're responsible at the end of the day to pay your claims. You're typically bringing in a guy like me to, to help coordinate all of those things in place stop loss insurance as well, which is your back end and your tail protection for the organization. Um, so I'm just I'm trying to make sure catering to the audience, depending on your level of sophistication right now. So uh, your tail insurance is basically going to protect you from any catastrophic risks, either on a per member basis within your organization or across the organization as a whole, across the plan year as a whole. So if you were expected to spend, you know, a million and a half dollars, but instead you spent two million, you might have had protection at 1.75. Um, if we we might put a plan that says, okay, no employee exposes you to more to more than $75,000 in expenses or no member more than 75,000 in expenses. Someone spends 150, no big deal. The other 75 is picked up by stop loss. So a couple of the challenges that exist is we work on the smaller side of mid-market. When I say smaller side of mid-market, we'll call it the, the 50 to 500 space. Um, some of the challenges that exist in that space is you can run into large ongoing claimants within your population. Um, those claimants can have claims that run into the six figures on a, on a repeated annualized basis. A lot of the times being driven by some combination of autoimmune disorders or just specialty medications that are involved in the treatment, but a lot, I'd say more than 50% is typically autoimmune related in, in where we're seeing these six figure annualized costs on a repeated basis. Um, that's where, honestly, Steve, that's that's where you and the Heinz team comes in more than anything else is is to help make sure that those things don't become a problem on an ongoing basis for our for our clients um, is to really help those those small to midsize employers ensure that they we don't have that second and third or fourth year exposure to a two or three hundred thousand dollar claimant that your your amazing negotiators can can jump in and work with our providers to to get those costs to a reasonable level and engage to make sure that member is getting the, the clinical treatment they need at a, at a price point that's appropriate across the scope of the equation. Um, is it always easy? No, you know, the, the biggest challenge, and, and I know you've seen it and other organizations have seen it, especially in, I'm going to stick to the smaller end of that mid-market segment again, just depending on HR levels of communication and engagement with staff on the employer level, one of the most challenging things tends to be you have a different ID card. Um, it might not say Blue Cross or United or Cigna or Aetna on it anymore. And if it doesn't, and someone says, what insurance do you have? And, and you say whatever that's not one of those and the provider doesn't know what you're talking about, what do you do then? So it's there's some communication and education that goes that goes into it that can be scary for a lot of people if they've never gone through that path. And if they're not partnered with someone that's extremely comfortable taking them through that process. Uh, I think communication is, is the right you know, to emphasis. I, if you're moving from a fully insured to a self-funded in any capacity, whether you're going as far as saying an RBP plan of some kind, or you're going to maybe, you know, you're using some sort of rental network, um, whatever it may be, it's still a big change 
if you're not walking in with a Blue Cross logo on the card like you did, you know, the mm-hmm. week before, I actually I was talking to a lady up in uh, the Pacific uh, Northwest who is with a Blue Cross plan, but it's a narrower network within the Blue Cross plan. And she walked into her same provider, an ortho, who's now saying, I'm refusing to provide any care to you because you're not part of the broader plan. So that mm-hmm. dynamic, it just changes things. And, yep. you know, I'd, I'd love, I don't know if we're going to have providers listening to this, but I'd love to engage in the conversation on the provider side. We want to give more opportunities, especially to the small to mid-sized business, to be able to, to give good care, good benefits to their employees but they still need the access to yep. to to the same care and and you know a lot of times these plans will pay equally as as good if not better and faster and easier and you're going to have you know you, you need to call somebody on the other end of the phone you're not going to get a call center full of you know a thousand employees you're going to get Jane who's going to answer your question um so there are some advantages to these smaller plans even to the provider community yeah i mean my there are a number of advantages to going down this path as an employer as well and and we touched on you know what are some of the disadvantages but why does an employer go down this path steve why would they go self-funded instead of fully insured and have that reverse incentives obviously you have the dollar advantages um of e- eliminating some of those reverse incentives and and the ability to carve out and tackle specific items and expenses within your organization and manage that supply chain to the point that it needs to be to bring in the appropriate vendors at the right price points to address what you need for your organization. Um, But the other, you know, the other big piece of it is the data and the transparency, depending on where you're at today in market segment wise, if you're fully insured, you may have limited to potentially no access to, to health claims information and health data. You might not know if the million dollars you're paying this year is reasonably appropriate or not. You might not know if your carrier spent 200000 or $2 million last year in claims, if the 15% renewal you're getting makes sense. Um, in the self-funded world, you're you're paying your claims as they come in. You're, you're always aware of exactly where you are and where you're going. Um, and with obviously the right data analytics platforms to help support that, you've always got a pretty good bead on, on what's forecasted and coming into future as well. Um, but it's... It, the I mean, the advantages far outweigh some of the the risks, in, in my personal opinion, of doing it. But it's always scary. It, and again, I think the biggest challenge is that communication factor more than anything else for most employers. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you mentioned the transparency. I, you probably speak to a lot more employer groups than I do. But the last little while, I've had several opportunities to speak to employer groups that are on you know each end of that spectrum from. I've been self-funded for years now, and I had an owner tell me exactly how much they spend per person per month, and they knew what their cost was. They knew that they had a couple of people that were, you know, needing some extra help, and they were actually aware of who they were, and they were able to provide some additional assistance to those employees. To somebody who was terrified of going self-funded, but really had no idea what their average cost per employee was, had no idea what was going on with their population, and it, it it really is a whole different world when you go self-funded and, and there's a, a journey that I'm sure you've seen more than I have that you have to go on to learn about what does it mean and wow, I now have a lot of insight into the health of my population, to where my costs are going, am I spending it on things that are actually bringing value to my employees or am I just spending it on the machine and I have no idea where that dollar is going at the end of the day. Exactly. You you get to pick and choose how to allocate those dollars to ensure that your return on investment is where you want it to be and that you're 
you know, that you're getting value back on that investment as well in the areas that you want to be adding value for your population, not necessarily just the areas that are served by the by the carrier whose name is on the ID card. So, um, yeah. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I could go on here probably for, for another hour if we wanted to, but uh, we're coming up on roughly an hour, I think. Um, you know, I, I appreciate you mentioning Heinz and, and what we can bring. There's lots of other folks out there that can bring some great things. I did want to take a moment and just kind of acknowledge uh, Acrisure and, and give a, how can someone reach out to you if you would? Uh, so maybe just give us a little, I know you've got a ton of solutions. We as an organization actually do use a few of your services and we appreciate them, but maybe you can just kind of give a little plug for all the things that Acrisure does and, and how people can reach out to you. Sure, sure. So Acrisure, for those of you that may not be familiar with us, we are a, a global fintech organization. We've got about 14,000 employees globally. Um, we are in 21 countries today and did about $4.2 billion in trailing 12 months revenue. Um, so massive, massive global fintech firm. Um, we've got our hands in a few different spaces. Um, number one in our, our predominant focus is on the insurance and risk management space, including employee benefits and all things associated with insurance, risk management, employee benefits. Um, number two, we're also a little bit in, it, we play in the title insurance space. We're actually the largest title insurance provider in the world. So title mortgage origination. Um, broad scope of insurance. And then thirdly, our, our other big focus today is on cybersecurity services. Um, so outside of just pure cyber insurance placement, actually making sure that your systems processes are, are up and running, not replacing your MSPs and things along those lines, but just making sure that, that what you have is everything that you want and it's functioning the way you want so that you can go out and purchase that cyber insurance coverage you need. Um, Myself, I'm I'm local out of, well, I'm going to say I'm local, depending on where you are, where you're listening to this. I'm out of our Naperville, Illinois office. Um, Presidio is the name that flags on my building, but it'll be rebranded to Acrisure within the next 18 months or so. We've been a part of the Acrisure family for more than eight years now. So um, we have a lot of new, exciting things going on. If you would like to get in touch with me, you're welcome to reach out. Um, phone number 630 eight five three two five two seven or uh email b erickson at presidio p-r-e-s-i-d-i-o grp.com um i'm sure steve can probably throw a link up or a text link or something like that too we'll get that put on the bottom of the screen as you're saying it so perfect blake thank you so much for your time today and uh thank you everybody for listening absolutely thanks steve thanks audience hope everyone has a fantastic day site.